0: So Titus, we're going to be in a new study here. Um, think for a minute, when was the last time you opened the mailbox and you received a letter? Not a typewritten letter that you owe money, not some bill, not a card even that says happy birthday, but you received a letter from someone you know, family, friends, whatever, and they handwrote a letter to you and signed it, you know, hey, sincerely, love your friend, but it was directed to you. I was reminded of back in elementary school when our teacher, uh, I think it was fourth grade, maybe fifth grade, we had pen pals. Anyone ever had pen pals before? And so with pen pals, uh, you write them a letter and they write you back. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, because you live in the uh, email and text days, That you grab a piece of paper, you write down the date and their name, dear so-and-so, you write something about your life or what's going on or what you address, and then you end the letter with like, sincerely, your friend, love, so-and-so, and you then fold that, you put it in an envelope, you... Uh, go and, and if you have stamps, if not, you had to go to the post office and get stamps and put that in there and it would be sent off and however long. Now I had a pen pal that was in Denmark. Now it took a while for the letter to get there and then after you read it, I mean, again, fourth grade, fifth grade boys, take some time, whatever, and then uh, you fill it out and send it back. And I would go out to the mailbox and look like, well, when's he going to to write? Is he going to ever send anything? But we would send probably about two pages in horrible handwriting that both of us had and try to decipher what it was. And we would talk about, here's what it is to live in California. Here's what it is to live in Denmark. And oh, I hope you're doing well. And really, that was the gist of it. And I think we did that for about a year in our class. And so somewhere in a box, I probably still have those letters for some reason, but uh, when was the last time you did that or you received a letter? And the reason why I talk about letters is because as you look at the book of Titus, uh, it is not a book in that sense, it is a letter that was written by someone to another person and that is who we uh, begin to look at this morning. Specifically, we will look at this uh, introduction in verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul, we'll see, is the one who wrote to Titus, a young elder leader on the island of Crete, and he was the leader of the church in Crete, and he, in this letter, has given some instructions about the church and how to lead that, which we will cover. He's told to put leaders in place. He is uh, to charge the Christians with godly living. We'll see as we go through this, the Cretans, those who live on the island of Crete, were known for their lying and for their immorality. And so he encourages the church in the letter to not live in that sense like the Cretans. Repeatedly, though, as we see in what we've titled this series, that we would protect and practice sound doctrine is what is continued to be pressed by the Apostle Paul to Titus, to the church. And as we see this today, it's a personal letter to Titus, but there are things in there which Paul explains which Titus doesn't need explanation because it was for the uh, reading before the whole body of Christ then, as well as for us today. So this is not just some old 2,000-year-old letter to a group of people that lived on an island that means nothing to us. It has so much that it means so much to your life if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the gospel is declared throughout this letter, and you need to hear the gospel, and I pray that you would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith. Titus chapter 1, 1 through 4, as we look at that and read that this morning, The scriptural truth that we see is that a servant of God must be committed to the mission of God. Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God. And Father, again we ask that you would bless the reading and bless the preaching of the word as we see, this introduction to this letter is packed with so much gospel truth, and we need it to impact our lives. So Holy Spirit, teach us and help us to apply it, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So a few questions we are asking this morning is, who is Paul, the guy who wrote this letter? Uh, what is Paul's mission, which he speaks of and charges T- uh, Titus uh, with? Um, uh, what did Paul preach? And lastly, who is Titus, which we'll just briefly look at and continue on in the weeks to come. The first one is in verse 1. It's who is Paul. Some of you already know who this is that's writing. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in it, we see the authority with which he has to write this letter to Titus and to the church in Crete. But I want you to pay attention to words today. There are words in these four verses, and you need to know that as we read them in English, the original language helps us understand more clearly at times what maybe an English word doesn't carry a full weight of. The word there, servant of the words, servant of God, is the word doulos, and it means a bondservant, a slave, or a bond slave. So as they would read this in its original language, they would see Paul, a bondservant, Paul, a slave, Paul, a bondslave of God, an apostle or a messenger or a town crier in that sense of Jesus Christ. If you are interested in studying words in the original language, please speak with me afterwards. Maybe I just need to have an email that goes out as well to show you tools that you can use to look up Greek Hebrew words from the Old Testament to know the definitions which help in the understanding of God's Word. Some of you might think, well, that's only what a pastor can do, that's only what an elder can do, that's only what a good teacher can do, and I will tell you, no. The simple, plain understanding of Scripture is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God, and God has given us also abilities to study these original languages as well. There are others in the Bible called a servant of God or the servant of God. Specifically with this term, we know of Abraham, we know of Moses, we know of Joshua. Our study in James, in James chapter 1 verse 1, he uses the same term which Paul uses, a servant of God, a doulos of God. Also Jude has that title. The prophets of God throughout the Old Testament are called the servants of God. And it's important that we understand this so that you would understand when Paul, when he writes and talks about slavery and enslaved sin and being set free from sin and the old life and the old man and the new life and the new man, these things are so important. And I may be so excited about the word doulos this morning, you're like, get on with the introduction, but there's so much that you need to see. Because when you understand what he's saying, that he's a slave, a bondservant, a servant of God and who he was before, and you understand that that is you who are in Christ before and after, it's amazing and it's glorious what God's word teaches us. I'm going to write down two chapters you need to read this week specifically. I'll just tell you this. I was encouraged by a handful of you this week who texted me, emailed me, and a person on the phone said, hey... Pastor, I listened to you. I read Titus this week. I had two people who challenged me and said, hey, one person said, hey, pastor, read Titus every uh, day this week. I had another person who said, hey, read Titus twice a day, and here's some questions to go with it. And I was so encouraged that people are reading Titus. I already began to get questions even last Sunday when we were done. Pastor, what is this about elders? And I was like, wow, this is great. People are asking these things. That's what we're praying as an elder team, that God would continue to do at Discovery, that you would hunger for the Word of God, that you would study the Word of God, that you would come prepared on Sunday as the body of Christ comes to worship God, that we would sing praises to Him, and that we would open the Word, and the Holy Spirit would strike our hearts with the truth of God and cause life change. Amen. I ask you to pray for those things, and I ask you to continue To keep reading. So if you read Titus once this week, wonderful. Read it again this week. Take on the challenge, read it a few times, or take time and study words like this. But I want you to read Acts chapter 9 this week. And I want you to read Romans chapter 6. We'll get to Romans chapter 6 in a minute. Acts chapter 9 gives us the account which Paul repeats in a number of his letters of when he came to faith in Christ. On the road to Damascus, God stopped him and the guys that were with him. Jesus appeared to uh, Saul. The name later changed to Paul. And so he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew God's law like the back of his hand. He was an expert in it. And Jesus stopped him on the road. Jesus blinded him and says, I have chosen you to be my person to go out and take the gospel to these people Three days later, the scales fall off. God works in his life, and you see Paul's life radically changed because he was on his way to Damascus to go arrest Christians so that they would be brought before the chief priest and stoned to death because they followed some guy named Jesus. Radical life change. Read Acts chapter 6. I mean, sorry, Acts chapter 9. Thank you for yelling that out. Acts chapter 9 verses 19 and 21 I will read right now in Acts chapter 9 it says this in 19 verse 19 through 21 and taking food he was strengthened for some days this time about Paul he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Speaking of Jesus, Christians. And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. They say, wait a minute, Paul was just giving, uh, you know, clearance for these guys to stone Stephen, and he's on his way. He's got a letter in his hand and all these things, and wait, now he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah? What in the world has happened to this guy? Because he's the top-tier Pharisee. He knows the law word by word. He knows it all, and he is an expert in this area. Why is he now saying that Jesus is the Messiah? What it is a picture of is all believers' life's Changed radically. A sinner, a rebellious enemy of God, changed by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, new creation, new life. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul's life, and that's what we see in each other's lives who are followers of Christ. And so Paul... Going back to Titus here, go back to the text. What does it say? Paul a what? A servant of God, a doulos of God. And in this, we see so much in this title. You need to read Romans chapter 6. At Paul's first birth, when his mom gave birth to him, he was born as a doulos. He was born as a slave. He was born as a servant. But what's clear is in his letters, in Romans chapter 6 says, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We do not like these terms. At one point, we were enslaved to sin because we don't think that we are that bad. We think that we are good, moral people. Go out this week and talk to other people in this world and tell them that they are a sinner before a holy God and they will disagree with you. You tell them they're a slave to sin, they'll think that you're crazy. But this is the description over and over of the believer whose life was changed, the person before Christ come. In our first birth, we're born in Adam with sin, and we are therefore, as Ephesians tells us, that we are people of wrath, that we are enemies of God. And As Paul said there in Romans 6, Enslaved to sin, no longer enslaved to sin because of Christ crucified. A few weeks back in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 24, we studied this on Sunday night. Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And I'm so thankful for that passage because it helps me understand when Apostle Paul says he's a servant of God, and he was born a child of wrath, born as a slave to sin. What happened now is he's no longer enslaved to sin. He's a doulos, a servant of Christ. And this happens in the second birth. You read John chapter 3, being born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus it must happen if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And so doulos carries this sense again of being bound uh, to another so strongly that only death can break it. So when we take communion, you look to the cross. Jesus Christ died in the place of his believers, for believers for the sin that they had committed. His blood was shed that they would be forgiven. So his death breaks that slavery for the believer and sets them free that they would be a servant of God and not a servant of sin or a follower of Satan. John chapter 8, listen to Jesus' words about being enslaved to sin. This is not something that the Apostle Paul came up with. Again, we'll read in just a moment that all Scripture is breathed out by God. These are God's words. These are not just some man who figured out, I'm going to write this thing on a piece of paper and send it to some guy named Titus. Here's what Jesus says about being enslaved to sin in John chapter 8 as he writes or as he speaks to these Jews. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. What a simple statement. Read John chapter 15. Jesus talks about abiding in him who is the word. He goes on, verse 32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Exactly what Paul tells Titus, that the knowledge of the truth goes with godliness. Church, these things are so seamless and so connected that God's word is so complete and wonderful. I pray that you're just blown away by these things. There's no discrepancies in God's Word. It is the best commentary on itself, and it is so uh, uh, complete. It's wonderful. It goes on and says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Church, you need a Savior who will set you free from your slavery to sin. And for those of you who are in Christ, you rejoice because you have been set free from the control and the chains and the bonds and the slavery to sin, and you're a servant of God. And you know that the Holy Spirit fills you. The Holy Spirit works in your life and the Holy Spirit causes you to walk in ways of holiness and you rejoice. Even when you still battle with sin, sin no longer controls the Christian because they're no longer enslaved to sin. But before Christ, slaves to sin. After Christ, set free and a servant of Christ. When Christ saved the Apostle Paul, again, those chains of slavery... You might say, "Well, but hey, he was a religious guy. He held to the law. He was zealous for God. And when you read of him talking about his life before Christ and his life after Christ through the letters, you see Paul himself draw a distinction before salvation and after salvation. You can be the most religious person in this room that you go to church services 50 t- 52 times a year and you go to 51 Sunday night services and you go on mission trips and all these things and you memorize the book of Titus, because you read it ten times a day and on and on, and you be- you give and you do all this, and you're the most religious person, it will do nothing for you, and that's Paul, Paul's whole argument. Before Christ, he was on the works and the law and keeping it and all of that, and when after Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, his life was changed. He was born again and he lived for Christ. So if you're a Christian, live for Christ. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You have been set free from sin that controls you. Galatians chapter 4. Paul again, verses 3 through 7. In the same way, we also... Again, he's writing these letters to the churches. He's not writing this to non-Christians, people. He's writing this to churches, and he says to Christians, in the same way, we... Christians also, when we were, past tense, children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Here it is again. We just studied the book of James. We read about worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And worldly wisdom leads to death. And godly wisdom leads to life. The elementary principles of the world is worldly wisdom. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. I thought someone would say amen on that. That's scripture. That's not me. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a what? a son or a son and daughter, and if a son, then an heir through God. Again, read First Peter. Again, God has adopted his people, that he's saved by the blood of Christ, and he's prepared an inheritance in heaven that will not fade away. It's not going to rust away. It's not going to be destroyed. He will bring his people there, and they will rejoice with him for all eternity, Do you see, church, as we read the Word of God, how the Word of God is seamless and continues to comment on itself and affirm, and it is a wonderful, glorious thing? Read the Word of God. The reason I tell you to read Romans chapter 6, if you're still arguing with the word of God about being slaves to sin in the past and being broken of that, then you can argue with Romans chapter 6 as the Apostle Paul in verses 15 through 23 says, here's my identity before salvation, a doulos, a slave to sin. Here is my identity now, a doulos, a slave to Christ. People say, oh, I don't want to use that word slave. I'll use the word bondservant. That's also in the meaning. Okay. But bondservant, servant, or slave of Christ is the same words there that is used here and this is what you are to uh, hold to as a follower of Christ. You are a servant of Christ. So again, before salvation, our old self, as Paul says in other places, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, the old man, the old Adam, after salvation you are a new creation, 1 Corinthians That you have a new self, a new man because of the righteousness in Christ that you are clothed in. So when God the Father sees his sons and daughters, he sees the righteousness of Christ because you've been justified because of the work of Christ and the blood that was shed to save you from your sins. Your identity has changed as a Christian. You heard the gospel, you repented, and you believed by the work of Christ And it is his work. It is not our work of salvation. So I pray that this room is filled with servants of God. And with that, there are other titles that God has given to his church. Wonderful titles. Here's just a few of them. Servant of God, Child of God, The Saints, The Church, The Body of Christ, here in the text, The Elect, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that his people are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Church, when you see these titles for the believers, for the church, for a Christian, you should take joy in them. They're God's titles for you as a Christian. They're not to wince from, because we'll look at the word elect, and I think sometimes teeth come together, people tighten up, and like, what are we saying here with the elect? Or when it says chosen, and we'll get in that just a minute here. It's God's words, but He says He's a servant. And if you look at the end of verse one, we'll end verse one here. The an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a delegate. He's a messenger. It means one sent forth with orders. And you'll know this: that even though he's an apostle sent by Christ with the gospel to the churches and to the lost. We will also see that the mission that he reminds Titus of is your mission if you're a Christ if you're a Christian you are to follow him because you have been given orders to make disciples who love God and love others. So that's who Paul is. That answers the question who is Paul? The second question is what is Paul's mission? Look at verse 1 and 2, second half of it, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which god who never what he never lies promised before the ages began stop there paul's mission is your mission if you're a christian Acts nine fifteen, 15, uh, God says, uh, you are my chosen instrument to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which we'll read at the end of the service here, is a passage declared to all believers that you are to go on the mission of God to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth that his people would hear the gospel and believe and be saved. Amen. So in this, <laughs> let's take a look here. There's three things real quick he mentions. His mission was to proclaim the gospel. His mission is to teach the churches the knowledge of the truth. And so let's look at this first one. His mission is to proclaim the gospel. He says, for the sake of God's elect. The word elect means picked out, means chosen by God. This week, one of my daughters asked me, why in Spanish is a J pronounced as an H? Like, instead of Jose or Josie, why is it Jose? So I turned to my other daughter, who's been studying Spanish this year, who has become quite well that she pranked me on my phone, called and left a message in Spanish with a blocked number, and I'm like, they're talking about, I think, something about a dog being lost or something. She began to prank other people, so I asked her, I said, why is a J in Spanish pronounced as an H? She goes, because that's the rule. And I said, no, what, what? And, she, and I was starting to argue, and I realized, I'm like, okay, this is not an argument. I'm going to win. It's like the letter P for Paul has a sound pa. It's like, do you go and change that? No, in the English, it means pa. It does not mean z or ah uh or m mm or whatever. It means pa. P means pa. So when you read these things and you read Scripture, don't be afraid of the words that you read. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it says, for the sake of God's elect. And sometimes we don't know how to interact with this, so there's fear, and there's people who argue these things, and it's like, I can't argue with these people, and so let me uh, bring us to a point where we can just take a deep breath. One, this is a title that God has given to Christians. Just take a deep breath. It literally means in the Greek, picked out or chosen by God, Okay? You with me? All right. These are the words of God. First, uh, or 2 Timothy 3.16 says, The words that are written are breathed out by God through the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Prophecy, the word of God here. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we go, okay, Hey, these are God's words. In the English, it says this, but I can also look up in the Greek and I can understand what these things mean here. So when we read this, we have to read this within the text of. The book of Ephesians and the book of Romans and the number of times that, uh, it, that Paul and the other apostles write using these terms. You have to go back to the Old Testament when God calls out the nation of Israel and says, A chosen people for me. I'm doing that. You're not doing that. Abraham, you come to me. God does all of this work, this picking out and this choosing. But the problem that I think we run into in our human self is we are like this. Oh, I didn't get chosen to receive that award. I didn't get picked to get a raise this year. I remember standing on that baseball field with those kids, and they picked me last because I had no skills. They just didn't know it yet. You ever felt like those things before? Those things can be troubling. So when you read this, we're like, whoa. How, how do you compute all these? And there's... Believe me, we don't even have enough time today to go on that. It. It's a whole another day, a whole other time, but again, trying to tackle this for a moment because it is in the text. We don't skip over it because there's fear to address it. He says his mission is to proclaim the gospel for the sake of the elect. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you every time I tell you to read, some, read a passage, so you should just write the list down. And uh, uh, read everything. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I can tell you that many years ago, I used to not like this passage. I would argue with a friend of mine in college, and I would not want to ever look at these verses because the way that I interpreted it. And that's always the problem, is how you interpret Scripture. So how do you interpret Scripture? Scripture with Scripture, with Scripture, with Scripture. If it doesn't say it, you don't add to it. You take exactly what it has, and you apply it in your life, and you say, Holy Spirit, I need help to understand this. Would you work in my heart, open my eyes, and teach me anew? And so, what we see in this is before the foundations of the world that God has set out His grace for His people to save them from their sin. Matthew chapter one, Jesus came to save His people from their sin. Scripture is very clear in these things. Ephesians chapter one and chapter two. This grace that He gives is a gift, as Ephesians two, a gift. His grace is the gift of faith to the believer, to believe, to the non-believer, to believe in Christ's death. His burial, His resurrection, that He's the only way of salvation. Ephesians is clear, it is a gift of, faith is a gift and it's the grace of God. And so as He chose Paul to be an instrument of mine, and He stopped him on the way, it says He chose His people before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And so again, we'll look at a couple more passage here, passages here. Paul's mission is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth so that God's people would hear the gospel that they would believe. Because Romans, as we'll read here, says, You must hear that to believe in those things again is through by the gift of God. And so, two passages 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, 8, 9, and 10. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as he preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The apostle Paul had the attitude that you and I should have the motivation for the mission that he was willing to go to death. He went to prison, he was beaten, he on and on, he was they threw stones at him to kill him and left him for dead, all for what? The sake of the elect, God's people. And I'm thankful That the Apostle Paul went out to the ends of the earth. And he wrote what the Holy Spirit told him to write, so that we too, in Christ, the elect, can rejoice in the truth of God's word. Romans chapter 10 says this, verse 14. Through 17. If I can find it here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Great question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Wonderful question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Glorious question. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God's put these questions here for us. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all, obti- they have not all ab- obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of what? Christ Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would sum this up. I know that went off on a way thing here. Paul's mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did that for the sake of the elect. Romans 10 also is very clear that with a person to be saved, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they must believe and they must confess. It says, "...for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved." It says, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so for you who is a Christian today, you may not be able to explain it all other than the fact that God has saved you. Ephesians 2, you have not saved yourself. Salvation is not by works. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can save to save yourself. Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for your sins is the one who does all the work. In Ephesians 2, the, his grace is a gift of faith that we believe. And so there's no discrepancy. The gospel is declared and the believer it says, I believed. And all of the glory goes to God because he's sovereign over salvation. As scripture says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I do not see any discrepancies at all in the gospel going out, people hearing, their hearts convicted of their sin, as the Holy Spirit was sent, John chapter 8, Jesus says, to convict the world of sin. The person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe. The elect, the chosen of God, the saints, the Christians. So his mission is to proclaim the gospel for the sake of the elect. Look at verse 1. It says, For the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul's mission is to teach the churches the knowledge of the truth. And so you have truth which accords with godliness. The truth of God's word. Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. Those truths of God's word provides makes you walk in, in holiness and godliness is produced as fruit in your life. Therefore, again, after you're saved through Christ, you're justified, you're set right before the Lord God Almighty, your heart is sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you are walking in Christ, you're transformed, you're a new creature, you're a new, you have a new heart, and the Holy Spirit causes growth, and the cause of growth is the Word of God. Do you get it why I tell you to read the Word of God? Because avoiding the Word of God does not prov- produce godliness the truth of God, the knowledge of God, the word of God produces godliness. If you want to walk in holy ways and righteous ways and in godliness, you must read the word of God so the Holy Spirit illuminates it in your life and applies it and you walk accordingly. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Again, that picture of being set free from enslavement to sin and following Satan as the children of wrath. Paul's mission is not only to teach truth, God so that people would grow in godliness, but third part there is Paul's mission is to to encourage the believers in their walk. This morning, when I was upstairs, before I came down here, this morning's been a chaotic morning. From the air conditioning, chiller, whatever call it, covered with ice, to screens that weren't working, to... Just the feeling of weight and pressure of standing before you to people asking me for things and and, and different things. I was just like, oh, this is tough. And then I read this again, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I pray that you would encourage the believers with your word this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move upon the hearts of the people, that they would understand truth, that it would accord with godliness in their life. And they would see this last, or this wonderful truth here in the end of verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So you gotta tie all these things together. We looked at this last year, the attributes of God. God never lies. God never lies. He doesn't, Write something and not fulfill it. He always fulfills everything he promises, everything he states, everything that he writes is truth in his word for us. And so he never lies. And it says, promise before the ages begin. Do you know when you read in hope of eternal life, that should be a great encouragement, believer. Eternal life, not eternal death in hell. Eternal life, glorified with Christ before the throne of God, worshiping Him, a new heavens, a new earth, a glorious day after day, eternity for eternity, where your joy is ever growing and never ending because your joy is in Christ. And you no longer have a physical body like this which falls apart, but you have a glorified body A glorified soul that there's no sin, no more sin at all. Guilt and shame gone. He says, "In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began." And so that is Paul's—that's Paul's mission: to share the gospel. Encourage and build up the church. Third one, question here. His last two are brief. What did Paul preach? Verse 3 and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. The word preaching, kerugma, it means proclamation of news by a herald or a public town crier. If you are a Christian, you are a herald of the gospel, you are to be a public town crier. You're like, what is that? Well, before internet, before newspapers, before phones, any of these things, towns would have a town crier or a town herald, and they would stand in the center of the city or the town, and they would declare the news. You get it? The good news? You are to be a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the glorious news that you can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not an option. Jesus uses this same word to describe Jonah. Remember what Jonah did? He goes into Nineveh and says, Turn to God or you guys are dead. He's like, Wrath if you don't turn to Christ. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are to speak of sin. We are to speak of wrath because that is for all who reject Christ as Lord and Savior. All who die in their sins are not saints, but they are fallen people who will be in hell for eternity and the wrath of God will be upon them forever. Tell people, warn them of the wrath to come. This, I know this is not a politically right thing. We don't say hell in America. We don't want to talk about God being a God of wrath because all he is is a God of love. He loves everyone. So we must tell everyone that God loves them. And there are people who say, why should I turn to God because he loves me, so what? And they give Christ the finger. Tell them you're a sinner before a holy God. That's why you need to turn to Christ and believe. Don't just tell them, oh, God loves you. No. Tell them they've broken God's law and they're a sinner and the only way that they can be saved is by the grace of Jesus Christ upon them. Point them to the cross of Christ and let God do his work. But don't resist telling them the good news and the full picture of the gospel of Christ. Elders, pastors in the church are to be town criers, heralds of the gospel of Christ. Acts chapter 5 tells us the apostles did this from house to house. But you as a Christian are to do the same. Paul charges another young man named Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And I'm so thankful for 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, because Paul the apostle, when you read, you're like, man, this guy was an awesome preacher. I wish I could have heard him. We're reading the words that God gave him. But here's what he says: First Corinthians two one. And when I came, I, when and I when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some of you are fearful to open your mouth and to preach and herald the good news because you think, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I don't have a gift of teaching. You have the mission which Jesus has given all missions. Go and make disciples. Go and share the gospel of Christ. And as Jesus Christ saves people, you disciple them in the truth of God that accords for godliness. These instructions, I'll say, are simple instructions they are challenging because you cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit of God. But praise God that the Apostle Paul says, I didn't have some lofty speech, great wisdom. I wasn't this, 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 and this. He said, I just told them, Jesus Christ crucified, risen again. Believe in him for salvation or be damned to hell. Again, someone say, he's a damned to hell in the church. Church, we can't avoid the truth. If we do, we're disobeying the Lord God Almighty. Lastly, one qu- the question, who's Titus? We'll leave it with this this week. He says, To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Galatians 2 tell us, tells us that Titus was a Greek. He's there on the island of Crete. Here Paul says, To my true child in a common faith. It means legitimately born. It means a legitimate child Paul and Titus have a close relationship which we will look at over the weeks to come as he writes of Titus, I think, uh, 11 other times in the New Testament about having the same heart for the believers, the same ministry that he had trained him up, discipled him in these things. In closing, church, read Titus this week. Read the words the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus knowing that they are written to you as a follower of Christ. You are to be a town crier, a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ, today, tomorrow, this week, to the day that you breathe your last, and it is to be your joy. Even though you're going to be persecuted for it. Even though... Satan's going to come after you. The enemy doesn't want you. It is your joy to preach the good news of the gospel of Christ so that others, as Romans 10 says, they will hear. They will confess to him as Lord. They will be saved and all by the grace of God. As the worship team comes forward, I will read to you what Jesus gave as some words before he ascended to heaven a charge to the disciples and a charge to you who are followers of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And Jesus came and said to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is your mission, believer. Saint, Elect, church of God. Do not hide from it. Do not run from it like Jonah did. Go to it with joy and know that the Lord is your protector. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to work upon our hearts from this moment on. That you would continue to teach us these things which sometimes seem so hard or troubling, and Lord, we just pray and ask simply, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your truth. Help us to have understanding. Would you cause those who are enslaved to sin that are in this room today to be set free? Would you give them the uh, eyes to see the gospel of Christ, that they would turn to you and believe and be saved, and you get all the glory? Father, we pray that as we take cup and bread together to do what you have called us to do in obedience, that we would do that rightly. We would glorify you, and we thank you, Jesus. Amen.